name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. Why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. Ooh, my goodness, here we are again. Um, week five, week six, lockdown, can't remember. COVID, corona, whatever it's called, has got us well and truly pinned down. Um, a few announcements before we introduce today's guest. Uh, first of all is we are very much open for business, Art of Brill. Um, so we have now got bite-sized brilliance. So that's stuff that's available online or video conference or however you want it. It can be delivered to your computer screens now, which is really pretty cool. So check us out, check out the website for that. Also, we've got our Wellbeing Wednesday. It's currently in its fifth week. That is a short interlude of wellbeing for schools. So if you want to share that, that will be fabulous. It's really good, high quality. This is the best wellbeing stuff in schools that we've got going there because it's very important to keep young people's mental health in tip-top condition. So that's one a week. If you wanted to binge those, then we're offering a stupidly, ridiculously low COVID price until September. So if you want to know more about that, if you email will, at artofbrilliance.co.uk Will will sort out your query and offer you a stupid price. And we've also just uh, this week launched what we're calling Hashtag Write On which is on Facebook. Uh, it's a creative writing challenge for the kids. So we've got the well-being stuff, which is great about your mental health, but we also wanted some curriculum stuff. So I also write kids' books, so we decided to go with it. So if you're 6 or 16, we've got a super cool fab uh, writing competition, writing challenge, really. It's not just me running it. I've got a team of children's authors behind the scenes. One a week, every week, bit of a challenge. Get your kids to engage in some good, fun stuff. So that's the local announcements out of the way. On to this week's podcast guest. This is... On a happiness podcast, I'm going to call it the depression episode. It's a little bit epic, actually. Enjoy. Okay, my gosh, pod t- podcast listeners, we've got uh, we got, <laughs> every, every, every month is a special. This one is particularly special because we're in lockdown, and on the other end of Skype, uh, I've got uh, James Withy. Now, I don't know James like personally. But I've had the pleasure of having a sneak preview of his book. To introduce him, I'm going to read the little blurb that it says right at the start of his book, and then we'll get him into the conversation. So it says this. I'm assuming he wrote this. James Withy is a is the founder of The Recovery Letters, a project that publishes online letters from people recovering from depression. He's also the co-editor of the best-selling book, Recovery Letters, addressed to people experiencing depression. James trained as a person-centered counselor and worked in addiction, homelessness, and mental health services for 15 years. Not many laughs in that fella. He lives with depression and writes and speaks about mental health. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Um, now, I've already alluded to the fact you've got a new book out, which I've had a, I mean, it is absolute genius. I'm going to, but I want to come back to that at the end, mate. All right. So yeah. let's have a, let's just set the scene. First of all, we're in week five or six of lockdown at time of recording. How's life in lockdown 
at your end? Oh, God, it's it's kind of, it, it's just, it goes in waves, doesn't it? So so one day, you know, I'm fine, and I'm thinking, you know, I've had my bike ride, and I can come back and just chill and do a bit of work, and then other days, you know, I'm wanting to throw the cat out the window, you know, it's kind of, it's it's just kind of so up and down, you know? Um, and, yeah, it just goes from day to day, but it's like, it's kind of like, it's like a sort of grief process, isn't it? You know, you've lost this stuff and yeah. you know so yeah it's 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 very strange you know i normally i, I work in a library you know normally um I support my part-time jobs so being there is, is very, very you know not being there is very strange okay um, well i'll tell you what fella let's go let's start there let's start there because i'm always intrigued by people's backstory so i mean this is essentially a podcast about well-being and happiness and you're the first guest on that's come from a place that's not that really so I'm really, really intrigued by it. Um, so let's just go back to to old James in terms of what proper yeah. job. You work in a library now, right, which is a lovely job, right? But tell me about your history. Yeah, so I, so when I when I left university, I, I trained to be trained to be a counsellor, sort of person-centred counsellor um, with sort of Dave Mearns, who's one of the was one of the big wigs in uh, the person-centered field so yeah i trained with him in glasgow in sort of the early 90s and then started working in addiction mostly so so working in drug rehabs um community drugs project as a counselor and group worker um and then worked in homelessness so mostly sort of you know frontline stuff so working Gosh. in pretty right i mean that's pretty, fairly well i mean they call it what is it vicarious trauma or something where the counselor can catch the the, yeah. the the trauma of the uh, the clients. Oh, so um, reading your book, it it feels like you've been battling with this a long time. So when t- tell me about the depression when it kicked in. Do you know when I think back, I I, I think I've I've always had I've always had depression actually. You know I can I can remember back to very young with those sort of really intense feelings of loneliness and hopelessness. You know, and really not knowing what that was as a kind of you know five year old. Um, and then I a think fang on, mate. a five-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. So I can I can remember those intense feelings of you know loneliness and and uh, hopelessness and just going I don't know what what this is you know or you know obviously not being able to express that and things like that. So yeah, I remember it way back, you know, way 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 back. And then it's it's lived with me, you know, all my life really. Um, so I had, um, you know, a suicide attempt in my teens, just, you know, just to lighten things up on your podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm, not, I'm not laughing at the suicide attempts, mate. I'm, I'm laughing at your attitude now, looking back on it, is, is funny, right? And then got, so yeah, I got a really um, horrendous, uh, well, I got anorexia in my, in my early 20s. And then, and then I suppose sort of for my twenties, uh, you know, I was then kind of yeah working in in addiction and homelessness and um, pretty you know pretty frontline stuff mostly yeah, mostly heroin addiction, um, you know just to make life easier you know, and then I yeah and then I became really unwell, so I was living in Scotland at the time. My husband we moved down to Brighton where we live now, and then I got really ill so about ten years ago. Um, and then it's, it's hard though because I, I never, you know, throughout being ill, you know, all those years, I never sort of identified as somebody with a with a mental illness. I think, and that's partly around, you know. So were you, stick- so were you battling on going, turning, showing up at work and just 
going through the motions. Yeah, I was showing up at work. I was in and out of counselling, but I was showing up at work, working full time. You know, I, I'd moved into training, so I was training staff, um, you know, in counselling or group work and suicide prevention, ironically enough, and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I was, you know, I was I was functioning, you know, absolutely fine until about until about 10 years ago um, when, you know, things just went, you know, skyrocketed down. Um, I had a, a, a false accusation. From, I was doing some teaching and had a false accusation from a student. And then that with other things mixed in just, you know, plummeted me down. So, I mean, so, so far. Um, but yeah, I uh, was then having suicide attempts and was in, you know, psychiatric hospital and all that lovely stuff, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, crikey me. I mean, there's, phew, blimey. I mean, uh, you are so well qualified to write this book then. So um, <laughs> how are you now, by the way? I'm all right. Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's a very weird thing. It's a very weird thing. Depression. Yeah, certainly my depression is very weird in that, in the, you know, I've developed these techniques to throw stuff at it and and it's like it's like a full-time job because you have to keep at it you have to keep at it and if i take my foot off the brake then it sort of you know it finds a crack and it moves in so i have to be really 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 vigilant with myself and i make mistakes you know you know i i muck up and so i i i know now that i i have to do certain things to keep things on track so some of which I cover in, you know, or most of it actually I cover in the book, really. Um, so, so it go, yeah, I'm still on, you know, quite high doses of antidepressants and I, I see a counsellor and I see my psychiatrist every, every so often. Um, it's a pretty, my kind of type of depression is, you know, it's, it's pretty severe. So you have to have lots and lots of intervention stuff to, to kind of keep it on check. But, you know, I'm able to work part time. And, you know, and I'm able to write books and I'm able to do, you know, loads and loads and loads and loads of stuff that I wasn't able to do 10 years ago where I was, you know, pretty much comatose and in hospital. So, wow. it's, um, Mate, it sounds it's, like you, you're almost, um, I don't quite know how to phrase this, so experienced at depression that you know what the triggers are and you know when it's coming and you do something about it. You are, you are that well familiar with it, if you like. Um, uh, yeah, really familiar with it. So, you know, you know, I had I had sort of 20 years of, of working people with it, you know, and then and then I've had a good, you know, 10 years of having of having it acutely, I suppose. So, yeah, I kind of know the beast from all sides, you know, and that's that's part of the battle is kind of knowing, you know, what it's like and what it sounds like and what it's going to do and sort of predicting those moves. You know, it's like a wild animal, you know. Um, so, yeah having known from it from all sides so for example when i was first incredibly unwell I, I i could identify that i was unwell you know the thoughts i was having the way i was feeling meant that i was like okay i need to go to hospital i need to go to hospital now so you know i had enough insight into in, into that because of my you know professional experience really i suppose wow. um so yeah i i i know it, i know it well um and it and it shapes shifts and it does all kinds of stuff but you know, if I keep on top of it, then I can I can deaden it down and I can still live, you know, a meaningful life. Basically, I can still, you know, do my job which I love, and I can still, you know, holidays or you know, not at the moment, but you know, do things that I love uh, because I keep on top of it. Um, Fant it well, fantastic, mate. I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. And, and I think what <laughs> clearly what you also love is writing, which I can kind of use that as a yeah. segue into the new book. 
So I was lucky to have a sneak preview of it and how to, I mean, this is a family-friendly podcast, so I, in case you're listening in the car, we'll keep it family-friendly. It's got a naughty word in the title, but I love it, really. I'll call it How to Tell Your Depression to Go Away, he says in inverted commas. 40 Ways to Get Your Life Back, which is a great title, actually. Do you know what? You add me. You add me right at the um, at the content page. So if I give listeners just an example, the, the other before I give the example, you've also got kind of... You just told me a whole raft for 10 minutes of stuff, suicide attempts and stuff like that. And yet you maintain a sense of humor and a style of writing that is so wonderful and kind of almost lighthearted. So your contents page, if I just pick some out, these are the chapters. Uh, One chapter is called Do the Opposite. Your, do do the opposite. Um, Acceptance, you can't fight with ghosts. You're unwell, not crazy. Punch your cuckoo. Which is just, I just want to read that chapter. I don't care what it's about. It's just brilliant. Get angry. Very, very angry. Um, intrude on the intrusive um, thoughts. So I love the kind of the whole layout of the thing. And I've just picked out a couple of just very, very brief bits just from early on in the book. And I, here's an example of the way that you write, mate, which is absolutely beautiful. So one thing you say, I'm definitely not saying, oh, look at me. I'm all cured from depression and everything because I'm not far from it i know depression is not going to leave leave completely but at the same time i'm not going to let it win which is a beautiful beautiful couple of sentences and then i've just got a little highlighted bit just further on if i can just find it hang on one second um i'm just going to read just a couple of paragraphs mate you wrote this it's beautiful i hope you enjoy having it read back to you (laughs) it's chapter two don't listen to the lies and these are this is what you say we all tell lies right admittedly not always massive ones like my ginger chihuahua won an oscar six times in a row or i'm actually an undercover ukrainian astronaut but gentle lies that serve to protect ourselves or someone else no honestly i really didn't get your message or even i don't watch television at all i'd rather meditate all evening sipping a bowl of clear soup depression is the worst liar in the world like ever 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 Depression is really convincing. The best con artist you'll ever come across. Those guys shuffling cups and balls on the street are nothing in comparison. Those spam emails that promise you a tax rate, dirt in the street when matched with depression. Those pyramid schemes that promise you an annual income of £350,000. Depression beats them hands down. Lies that depression tells us include, you're never going to get better. You're a worthless piece of hairy hog rump. Other people might get better, but you're different and weird, and ugly. Being unwell, it's all your fault. You will never be able to manage this pain. Give up now. All your loved ones think you're a burden and smell of poo. Any of these sound familiar? Depression screams these lies in the loudest, most vile voice possible, whilst also prodding you with a red-hot poker. Quite the combination. Mate, I'm (laughs) bowing to your genius. In terms of what you've managed to do is take a book and a subject that is the most serious, serious subject in the whole world and made me want to read it as a happiness research. You've kind of managed to bring a lighthearted touch to something that's got no lightheartedness. So doffing my metaphorical cap to you. Um, So in a nutshell, tell us about just, well, sell the book, mate. Here's your elevator pitch. You know, I I wanted, I want, I've read so many books about depression. And, and, you know, when I was, when I was ill, I was, you know, recommended books like kind of, you know, 500 page books of, you know, in-depth cognitive behavioral therapy, what I had to do each day, what I had to write down. And it's like, 
and I couldn't read a sentence. And I certainly couldn't read a sentence of something that made me feel like it was homework. And, you know, impossible, absolutely, absolutely impossible. So, and I got, I got really cross. So, you know, my first book, The Recovery Letters, was, was, was kind of, you know, getting ideas from uh, stories from other people about how to recover. But I realized I wanted to write something about, you know, what I do, you know, but I, I wanted to make it for me because God, you need you need a laugh with depression. You know, it's like you have to make this stuff lighthearted because if you're reading a book about depression, you know, A, it can, it, you know, it can be triggering. You have to be really careful. But unless you counteract the dark thoughts with some light, then you're not going to read the book. You just, you just, you're just not going to read the book. So, I, you know, I also realized that a lot of my depression is really funny. You know, it, it, it's ridiculous. You know, it's absolute nonsense. You know, I run out of orange juice and have a suicidal thought and it's just like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's nonsense. It's a ridiculous animal. It's, it's just a ridiculous thing. So, you know, I just, I wanted to, you know, give 40 ways that people could, could you know, try and get their life back on track with this. But I wanted to read it write it in a way that was accessible, you know, that, you know, appealed to kind of the lighted heart. And there is a light heart with depression. It's just that it's really hard to find. So I wanted to write to that bit. I wanted to write to that bit of hope and that bit that wanted some relief. Um, and no, it's not, it certainly doesn't dumb down depression and it certainly doesn't, you know, say depression, it's fun, you know, but it does introduce humour uh, so it writes about it in a way that you can, you can carry on reading because you get those lighthearted moments and you need those lighthearted moments, those breaks to be able to read about depression and therefore then look at your own depression and know what to do. Mate, that's, that's beautiful. What you've done, essentially what you've done is you've made it totally readable. And I think it's almost pointless writing a book about depression if it doesn't keep the pages turning because nobody's going to get the information. You've managed to get the information across by wanting me to read the next chapter so and i'm not even the target market fella so and i thoroughly enjoyed it i don't think this is just for people with depression this is for, it's, it's personal development it's one of the funniest personal development books i've ever read it just happens to be about a deadly serious subject now can i'm gonna can, can circle around and tread carefully here what i found right so we run courses on well-being and human flourishing so i've spent yeah. i've done the opposite of you so for the last 15 years you've been helping people with problems I've been researching people who are already happy. So it's a, it's a really flip of the psychological coin is that handful of people you can think of in your life who've got, who aren't depressed, they've kind of got passion and energy and something about them. They are emotionally contagious and they make you feel great as well. So, and what I've learned is when we do our keynotes and our workshops, I have got to be so careful, mate. If I look out at an audience now, you've got to take an account of about a quarter of them are going to have some sort of mental health issue. It is massive. You've got a room of 1,000 people. That's 250 people in the room who are going to be on pills or medication. So I, I, before I launch into my little thing here, that I, I know this is your podcast, but I just want to just see what you think about it. Because I've never had anybody this well qualified and this well versed in depression to actually speak to. So I do tread carefully. And I'm, depression, must, I've never had it. It must be, God, the most awful thing. If, in some instances, death is a preferable option to, to depression, then gosh, I mean, I just can't get my head around that, how bad that must be. But if we go to the stats, have a look at the stats, right? And I know you'll be up on this. 200 years ago, one in a 1,000 people were diagnosed with depression. 60 years ago, one in a 100 people were diagnosed with depression. 25 years ago, one in 25 people were diagnosed. 
six weeks ago, about one in four. I would suggest right now, about three in four, right? Because of the state of the situation at the moment. So, so I mean, I've just written a few notes, right? So I'm, I'm treading carefully, but here we go. I've read a couple of books around it and uh, listened to a TED talk by a, a quite a famous guy. I can't remember who he was. A really engaging young young guy who talks about, we've been told forever that there's a chemical imbalance. You go to the doctors, you're not feeling great. Your doctor will automatically say, because your doctor believes it to be true, your serotonin's all over the place. So here's some medication that will stimulate that. And if you think that pills are the answer and you think that's, if you genuinely think that, then those pills are genuinely going to be the answer. But we go back to one in a thousand, then one in a hundred, then one in twenty-five, and one in four, and now probably three in four. We cannot surely we're not all of a sudden producing mass-produced faulty human beings, are we? Uh, it can't all be in your head. So if it, and you mentioned grief earlier, so depression is a sort of grief, but but, but what if it's a societal thing? It's it's you're grieving for a life that's not being lived in the way that human beings are designed to be lived. You know, we, we are designed to be connected socially. And if, if the modern world is disconnecting us and we're, if there's something missing in our life, and what if the cure isn't in your head and it isn't a medication cure? What if it's actually society that's faulty and not the human being? What, what, what do you think? Yeah. Um, <laughs> big question. I think, I think, I think a lot of the times, antidepressants are prescribed, and they're not prescribed for the right reasons. So I, I think that you know, if you've had a massive bereavement, then it is completely appropriate that you are feeling scared and lonely and angry. And I, you know, vast majority of cases, you don't need antidepressants for that. You need family connection and you know activity and distraction and and knowing how to grieve you know so if you've lost your job similarly you need you know company and support you know so it's, it's, it's antidepressant for situational depression in inverted commas uh, i think is really dangerous you know i don't i don't think that's right because it's saying well actually there's something wrong with you having those feelings there's nothing wrong with you having those feelings those feelings might be incredibly awful but that's that's not how antidepressants should be used, you know. And I and I do feel really strongly about that. I also feel really strongly about pill shaming, you know. And it's like there are those of us, including me, that I need I need to be on antidepressants. Um, and I know, you know, I've been on about thirty different antidepressants um, in in the in the last ten years. And I know when you know the click happens because often there's a click and something is happening in my brain, and something is working. So. And when I'm not on them, things are things are pretty unbearable. But I think we, you know, they are not an all-purpose antibiotic to the trials of life, and in no way should they be, you know, because it then, because it then says, oh, we you know what well, the easiest thing to do is just take a pill, you know, you know, rather than you know grieve properly or whatever you need to do, you know. So it's like rather than rely on each other, you know, and then we think, oh, well, then the pill's not working, so maybe it's me, you know, blah, blah, blah. It gets way too complicated. So, you know, my belief is that, you know, some of us, you know, need need medication. This is an illness, and if it was any other illness, we wouldn't be, you know, going, oh, well, you know, maybe with cancer you just need to go and have a hot bath. You know, I, I believe that, this, you know, and I'm told that the whole time, let me tell you. Um, and 
so I think there are, you know, severe cases of depression where we need medication. I also think there's a problem with the word depression. So, you know, using that word depression when we need, when we mean, you know, human sadness or human grief or whatever it might be is really, really wrong. We need another word for clinical depression. We need to find another word because this is getting too mixed up. And we use it as an adjective. People use it as an adjective all the time. You know, oh, my football team lost and I'm really depressed. No, you're not, mate. You're not, you know, you're not depressed. You might be sad. You might be gutted. You might, you know, but that's not depression. So we have to start making those distinctions. So, you know, I, I, I get really worried when, you know, I know someone who's had a hard time because of something, a situation in their life and their doctor's gone, oh, well, we'll chuck you on Prozac. And I'm going, no, 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 please, please, please don't do that. Please, let's look at lots and lots of different alternatives until, you know, a time has period, you know, a time has passed where we can definitely say, actually, this is this is major depression or this is bipolar. Um, because my depression is 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 not the same as, you know, a couple of weeks sadness. It's just this is a very, very, very different animal. So yeah. I you need to be really careful. Okay, mate. No, no. Well, obviously, I, I, yeah, I agree. I've never heard of pill shaming, by the way, but I, yeah, I get what you mean there. Um, and I don't think, you know, certainly not implying anything along those lines. But uh, you know, reading the literature, the DSM five, which is the, the statistical disorders book that all the shrinks read, is now yeah. suggesting that uh, bereavement is, you know, if you've been sad for a couple of weeks, if your partner dies, that I would expect as I would expect you to be gutted and gr- gr- totally yeah. tearful every single day. Um, but if you go to the doctors now or the or the psych, they will they can now say bereavement is now something you can take pills for. And I, I, honestly, I, I'm not, the problem with. You were also the age of depression is coming down and down. So median age is coming down. So it's almost like I think it's now fifteen or sixteen or something. So it's it's hitting young people a lot. And I just think if you if you go to the doctors and you get pills without for the wrong reasons, then you don't learn to deal with the issue that's causing the depression. I, re- I read about um you know the analogy in, in the book that I just uh, previously I might even be in your book about the boiling soup. If your soup's boiling, you can put ice in your soup and it'll cool it down, but it'll start to boil over again. Um, so what you've got to do is either reduce the heat down to a simmer or remove the damn thing from the stove. And it's it's the same thing as if we're just not pill shaming, but if we keep putting people on medication for the wrong reasons and we're throwing them back into a culture that's broken. And a neighbourhood that's broken, and a society that's not given them what they want, then we're just going to be popping pills forever. I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, there, there's there's a, a strong school of thought at the moment, of which I am not one, of, of saying that you know clinical depression is just solely caused by you know our environment, poverty, you know, and I know, and I don't believe that. You know, I can trace back that you know the heritage of my mental health through my relatives. You know easily trace about generations and generations and generations. Yeah. And we know I have a, a tendency to depression. Now, also external factors have increased that, you know, that risk, you know, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we're t- for me, it, it, it's about a combination of things. But, you know, we can't, we can't cure poverty and bad housing and bad relationships and domestic abuse through pills. We can't do that, you know, and, it, and it's, it's too easy to say you need to do that. But it won't work. It won't work. So you know. So what? You know. What? What are we doing? So yeah, you have to look at. You have to look at the source. You absolutely do. Um, I also know that you know there 
loads of people like me who, you know, will not survive without their pills. You know, you know, I, I won't, I won't survive without my pills. You know, when I, when I, you know, go from one pill to another and I have to come off, you know, that my, my suicidal thoughts go way, way, way high. You know, I, I, I know that's that, that's just something that I've accepted. Um, but I, I, I think it, you know, I think it dumbs down that if we're just handing them out willy nilly like Smarties, going, you know, oh, just take these. You have to look at, you have to look at other problems. You know, and it, it's too much of an easier way to go. We'll give you some Prozac or whatever, and it, and it will be okay unless we look at everything else. But you know, this is about politics, and this is about money, and you know, um, it, it gets, you know, we go, it goes into into, into that kind of territory. Um, I, I just so, I, you know, I don't want people who have um, immediately lost their jobs or lost a loved one to be put on antidepressants because that that I don't think that's immediately helpful. Sometimes those situations run on, and then people might develop clinical depression. But yeah. you know that that's not what you need initially. You know, it just it, it it isn't. You know, and and actually, a lot of times we've got to feel that stuff. We've got to feel that stuff, and I yeah. think we are taking ourselves away from removing genuine feelings. You know, um, you know, like grief and go, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this, or I shouldn't. You know, my friends died, or. You know, I've had a relationship break off. You know, I I shouldn't be feeling this like no, you absolutely should be feeling that stuff. In fact, you've got to feel that stuff to get to get out the other side. You've got to feel like that. But that's but, but to me, that's that's not depression. You know, that's that's not made. No, it's natural. Not, it's a natural part and parcel of the plot twist of life. It's what we call yeah, yeah. It's real life, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, yeah. So I think uh, yeah, I don't think we're really miles apart on that, mate. I think uh, it's great to have a conversation actually with somebody who's living and breathing it and and battling it and knows some strategies actually to deal with it as well which is great mate we always finish the podcast with um uh <laughs> what makes you happy so what what actually because i hopefully you don't say taking medication there must be something that you know <laughs> what makes james happy do you know what um more frequently it is really small stuff that i see and experience so I keep a list on my phone of, of, of happy stuff. So and it's usually really small stuff. So it's things. So on my list at the moment is, you know, two weeks ago I saw two pigeons having a bath and a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. So what makes you happy is two pigeons watching you have two pigeons having a bath in a puddle. That was making me genuinely happy. Or you know, I saw I was doing exercise. You know, my daily exercise by the beach, and I saw a small old woman with the biggest ice cream in the world. And it just made me so happy because it was just this wonderful image. Or, you know, I'll see a dog with like a massive, you know, three, you know, I talk about this, but stick in its mouth. And it's actually, you know, those moments that make me happy. You know, it kind of like small moments that genuinely make me happy. Um, and there's, you know, the bigger stuff is, is, you know, to be honest, less so these days. It's little moments of joy of that, that just really help me and and help me then but also sustain me so i can think back to you know when i was a bit a bit drunk in uh st petersburg because i had a vodka at 10 o'clock in the morning and i was staggering around st. Petersburg. You know, and it's it, that stuff that that brings me joy because i think there's a and it's joy that i'm looking for you, you know um the happiness stuff with depression is really is really tricky but what i'm looking for are, are moments of joy to sustain me and that you know, it's with little moments that I see, and I write down, and I look back on, and that's that's the stuff that that's the stuff that makes me happy. 
No, that's a genius answer. I mean, that's not the answer I've had from anybody else on the podcast in the history of the podcast. <laughs> but it's genius because you've learned to do that and you note it on your phone. And it's what we call in our workshops, we call it the beautiful ordinary. It's these just little yeah. moments that normally most people are so busy getting from A to B that they don't stop and be in the moment. And I think you've taught yourself <laughs> that all you've got is now. <laughs> the present moment is where life is lived. And I think maybe um, tuning into the now and looking for the joy in the moment is a really big deal, actually. So, yes, thanks for sharing those. And, and the classic CBT, really, is to, is to note them down and look at them and, and recall them. So at the end of the day, the three good things activity um, is from yeah it's from therapy so so well done fella that i mean do you know i was, I was kind of quite nervous about this i've done a bit of prep and i've got lots of notes and i wasn't sure i never met you and all that but you what a lovely chap and um best of luck with the new book uh so just to reiterate the title where i've learned how to tell depression to go away 40 ways to get your life back a how-to book james withy and it's out early may mate when's it out 7th of May, yeah, 7th of May it's out, yeah, on, it's out on paperback and uh, ebook and audiobook as well, yeah. Top man, thanks for joining us today, fella. I would advise everybody to go and get that book. It's not about depression, really, it's about life, and it's about, um, yeah, 40 strategies for all of us, really. So thanks again, fella. Have a great day. Thanks. Cheers, take care, bye. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcast.